Good morning. It's good to be with you for this one last time uh, for me. Um, it's been a privilege to uh, share with you over this last 12 months. And I just want to leave you, I guess, with a bit of a challenge uh, this morning. Uh, several years ago, the leadership team of a church that I was pastoring went away for the weekend to review the last 12 months and a plan for the year ahead. And early on the Saturday morning, I led the team in a reflective meditation on a passage of scripture that I can't remember uh, what it was right now. And as part of that reflection, we spent time alone with God and that passage of scripture. And after about 45 minutes, we came back together to share our reflections together. No questioning of those reflections, just share what God was saying. It was really interesting. Um, the first couple of voices said that they felt they had a, an apathy towards God, a, an inertia towards God, and felt that perhaps the church too was in that place. Some talked about they really had little interest in nurturing their relationship with God. They were kind of complacent and satisfied uh, with where they were at and felt that perhaps the church was possibly in that same space. The word lost our first love was thrown in. A lukewarm church was thrown in. And then someone said, perhaps we need a season of repentance. There was a real God moment for us as leaders. It was a very sobering, but a very healthy time together. And I sat there with the rest of the leaders, identifying very strongly with the feelings of the moment. There actually was no place to hide. And I started to sense these two words deep in my spirit, divine discontent. And I kept pushing them down. And eventually I spoke them out to the group. And there was this nodding agreement that they were two good words to describe what was going on, that God uh, in his grace had revealed to us his discontent with our personal and corporate relationship with him. We weren't digging around to find that. God had revealed it to us as we prayerfully reflected on that passage of scripture. It was a divine moment and a divine moment of blessing. God has succeeded in hijacking our planning weekend. Our, our plans went out the window and we had this great weekend together. And I wonder if anybody here this morning listening identifies with that sentiment, a kind of complacency. It's all okay. I'm pretty satisfied in my relationship with God. Perhaps you're even feeling that that's where we're at as a church. Well, this is what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. And remember Paul's uh, in prison, uh, separated from the church, in isolation. Uh, the church is 1300 k's from where he is. And this is what he says in Philippians 3 verse 12. And it would be good to read the whole of the chapter 
um, to put this in its context. But here we go. Not that I've already obtained all this. And the all this that Paul is talking about, if I can summarize it from this passage, is knowing Christ fully. Not that I've already obtained knowing Christ fully or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I've not arrived yet. I'm not fully mature. I haven't got a full grip on Christ. Oh, he's got a grasp on me, it says here, but I haven't got a full grip on Christ yet. There's so much more of Christ to know, Paul's saying. And he's painting a picture here of anything that it doesn't resemble um, spiritual apathy, complacency. It doesn't resemble a stagnant Christ follower. Being grasped, or found by Jesus did not mean that for Paul there was no more need to seek him. And I reckon we all need to be blessed with a holy discontent from time to time. We need to remember that Paul had been a Christ follower for almost 30 years by this time. And what he's saying here is I don't know Christ as I will know him when I see him face to face at the end of all things. He's saying, my spiritual journey's incomplete. I'm still on the racetrack somewhere heading towards the goal. And in verse 20 of chapter three he says this, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe this pressing on towards the end of all things often gets lost on us in our modern 2020. I think we would all agree that one of the great tragedies in our Western world today is that there's a thoroughgoing loss of hope that in contemporary Western culture, we're now trying to make the present eternal. We live as if the present is all there is. And unfortunately that includes Christ followers as well. We live as if the present is all there is. Now, Paul finds life meaningful in the now. He finds a goal and a reason to live in the now precisely because he sees the future with great clarity. Let me ask you this this morning. Do we have as our goal our central vision to know Christ Jesus fully. And to know is not to know things about, but it's to know experientially, it's to know relationally, it's to know in practice Christ Jesus fully. And I ask that question whether you've known him one year or five or 30 or 50 plus years. Paul says this, not that I've already arrived, not that I've already been made perfect, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, I press on. The one thing he does is press on, but to do that, 
he needs to forget what's behind. As Paul presses on to what is ahead, he forgets what is behind. And forgetting is integral to straining forward. Now, this language comes from the athletic arena. And it means that the runner puts behind them the track that they've already been past. They obliterate that past of the course and keep their eyes focused forward. Now, I was a middle distance runner uh, in my schoolboy days. And I can remember, and I believe it was an 880 metres, that shows how long ago it was that I was running. And the lead runner turned to look behind him to see where the other runners were about halfway down the back straight, 50 metres from the finish line. As he did, he lost his balance slightly, he slowed, and he felt running down the back of his calf, the sprigs of the runner in, tucked in behind him. You see, when you run these events, you are counting on the runner in front of you, keeping the same pace. And this runner, as he looked behind, slowed and slightly stumbled. He ended up obviously falling on the track by the wayside. And Paul is saying we need to put the past behind us in some way as we press forward. But what does that really mean for us? in our living. You see, we all know that the scriptures are full of God encouraging us to remember because we gain strength in the present as we remember what God's done in the past. Memory is a wonderful gift that God's given to us. In a flash, we can recreate a happy childhood scene as if we were there again. And it brings great joy to our hearts, doesn't it? We can fall in love, get married and have children all over again uh, with the same wife and family, of course. And I know that sometimes when I reflect back on things in our family's past, it, it's just so wonderful to do. We're able to do that because these memories are fixed in our minds. They're a powerful force that connect us to the past that help us to live in the present and even shape our future. And we all know that our emotions are closely connected to our memories. We have some happy memories and we get this wonderful warm feeling in us as we recall those memories. We have some sad memories and we may shed a tear or two as we remember them or feel distressed. Memories are incredibly powerful, aren't they? So what's Paul on about? Memories are also very practical. If we couldn't remember the red light means stop, we'd be in trouble. What if we couldn't remember that water quenches our thirst? Memories also help keep us out of trouble. What if I wasn't able to remember Sharon's birthday or our wedding anniversary? An old man was walking through the park, enjoying the day, when he sees his good friend Ernie sitting on the park bench crying. Sitting down beside Ernie, he asks, What's wrong, mate? And Ernie responds, You wouldn't believe it. Here I am, just 72 years old young. I've just recently married a 22-year-old vivacious blonde bombshell. She's very witch. She owns a liquor store. She cooks all my meals like a chef. And 
She's just a lot of fun to be with. And his mate replies, well, I know all that. That's great. What have you got to cry about? And Ernie laments, I can't remember where I live. And isn't that just one of our greatest fears that we will forget as we get older, that we will begin to lose our memory, that we will have trouble with a leaky brain? Now, we all know it's not possible to erase the memory of our experiences. So I think what Paul is saying to us, that our mind is not to be fixed on the past anymore in such a way that it occupies centre stage of our present thinking or of our future. We don't look back on the past in such a way that it impedes further straining towards the goal. We make a determined choice. We deliberately discard the backward thinking and the backward looking that slow us down as we press on. We, as it were, obliterate that part of the race, the course that we've already covered. You see, memories of past successes can make us smug, can make us self-satisfied, can make us prideful. And in that we can become lazy and complacent and self-satisfied. They can make us say, uh, and I'm sure you haven't heard this in the church at Bentley, this is the only way to do things as we look back on the past. We can say in the good old days and we want to go back there, but that was for them. We're very different now. Aren't you pleased? At least I am, that we have technology now to help us stay socially and spiritually connected in this time of physical isolation. What if we just said in the good old days? Memories of past sins and failures can make us kind of depressed and burdened with guilt and paralyze us in our pursuit of Christ today. We can let painful and sorrowful experiences of the past rob us of joy in the present. So the point's not never look back. The point is never look back and remember in such a way that it hinders our ongoing seeking after Christ. Let's give humble thanks for successes. Let's make humble confessions of failure. And turn now in the present and in the future and go hard after God. Someone once said we cannot change the past or erase it, but we can determine with God's help to prevent it from controlling the future. An editor of a newspaper once wrote, the true secret of editing is to know what to put in the waste paper basket. And years ago, many years ago, probably 20 years ago, I read these words that deeply challenged me. We pastors have to help people giving up their hope of having a better past. You see, because if that's what we do, we hinder the present. We give thanks for the successes of the past. We give humble confession of the failures of sin. And we move on in the present and the future.
So Paul says, I press on, forgetting, straining forward, I press on. Now I wanted to show a video clip here, but I don't know how to do it. It's 1988 Olympics, uh, 400 metres. I'm trying to remember whether it was the 400 metres hurdles or not. I can't remember. But it's Debbie Flintoff King of Australia is in the final. And this, uh, what part of the clip I wanted to show you is about the last 20 metres where they've cleared the last hurdle and Debbie Flintoff King is probably fourth or fifth in the pack. And I don't think she was expected to medal. But you start to see her incredible straining forward. You can see every fibre in her legs and her arms and her body, her neck. You can see her straining towards that finish line. She wants to get to the finish line. She obviously wants to get there first. And she gets there first by a hair's breadth. It was a photo finish. Paul says, we must cultivate a similar concentrated forward thrust and straining towards the goal of knowing Jesus Christ in this Christian race that we're in, a marathon. Oh yeah, I, I know I hear the phrase, let go and let God. But we need to beware of being passive. That's not what Paul is saying here. You know, what about the straining forward? What about every muscle and fibre being pushed forward to know Jesus Christ? What about stretching out to the finish line, the end of all things? I look at my own striving to know Christ and sometimes wonder if I'm not living as though I've arrived. You know, living with complacency, living with apathy, living with she'll be right, living passively. The race is incomplete. The journey unfinished until we know Christ fully. He's got so much more for us. That divine discontent that I referred to about our leaders retreat where there was complacency and kind of I've arrived and we're doing okay led to Sharon and I establishing retreat weekends for the church where we just sat still to know God. Best thing I've ever done in ministry by a long street. This is a strong word that Paul has here about us becoming settlers. We're called to be pilgrims, but it's easy to become settlers. And coming to my mind when I think of this is the picture of the wagon train setting out from uh, the east coast of America to go over and discover the west and go into the new country. And they were pilgrims. They were not content to settle in comfort. They were moving out to new frontiers. And, and that's the kind of picture I have. We're pilgrims, not settlers. There's more new for us. Yeah, even us 69-year-olds. We settle down all too easily and comfortably and cosily in our Christian journeys, don't we? We need to pick up again this imagery of pressing on, of straining. It's interesting that back in the early part of um, Philippians 3 where Paul's talking about who he was before he came to know Jesus in other words a Jew he persecuted the church the same word as here 
pressed on, straining forward, persecuting believers. This is pretty um, vigorous activity to know Christ. Someone once said this, if you're, if you, even if you're on the right track, you'll get run over if you just sit there. <laughs> We've not arrived. We're not perfect. Forgetting, let us strain forward. Let us press on to know Christ. I pray that you as a church family and you as an individuals will be blessed with a holy dis divine discontent from time to time. You, the bride of Christ, you as members of that bride of Christ, so that you will press on at all times to knowing Christ as disciplined athletes of his. I pray that you'll be pilgrims and not settlers. There's a wonderful journey still in front of you. And remember, the goal is progress. It's not perfection. I'm not perfect yet, says Paul. I'm pressing on to know Christ, not perfection. And perhaps this moment in the coronavirus pandemic gives us some time to press into knowing Jesus Christ. Now, by pressing in, I don't mean that intense activity, you know, rushing around. You see, we've had a lot of that taken away from us. But have you, in all this activity that's been taken off you, created some space where you just sit quietly with Jesus and reflect on his word and sit with him and listen to him, pressing in, in that sense, in the quiet and the rest. It's what we've done on retreats. People said, we want to know Christ better. We've taken them away to do that. Blessing. Blessing. I want to pray for you um, as a church and as individuals. This is my last act with you here online. And I want to use the prayer that Paul had for the church uh, in Ephesus. It's recorded for us in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14. This is the prayer. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to all the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.
May God bless you and may God bless Bentley Baptist Church. Now, just a reminder that we're providing an opportunity now to hop onto Zoom and touch base with each other as um, we just have this opportunity to bring to a conclusion uh, the 12 months of uh, my ministry here. So we'll give you a couple of minutes to get all Zoomed up and, and uh, get online in that way. Again, God bless you all.